So tonight, <clears throat> I'd really like to look at deliberately suppressed truths. What is going on? Why, why is science and the Bible at odds with other? And it's not just a little bit, it's a lot. And it's totally, it's like, well, this is over here and this is over here. What's going on? Who's right? Are they both right? Are they both wrong? It's one right. And so we're going to look at, because the Bible is an amazingly accurate book. It is an amazingly accurate book, even about science. And the Bible has predicted three issues. It's made this prophecy in the past. It says in the end time, there's going to be three issues that are going to be suppressed. Truth that's going to be pushed down, ignored, set aside. And it's because Satan does not want the truth out there because the truth points to God. Here's three questions that I believe, those are the questions that really are what the Bible is addressing here. So the truth is going to express, but what is eternal? What is space? And what caused extinctions? Now, where, where in the world would you find those things, especially the list of what caused extinctions? What is space? Really, the Bible talks about these things? Well, it does. So I have a goal, several goals tonight that I really want to look at. First, my goal is I want you to see how amazingly, amazingly accurate the Bible is. Completely, totally. And as you see that accuracy, I want you to be strengthened in your faith. We believe in a God who is true, and right, and the things he does are accurate. And then I want you to be able to have questions, especially three questions for those who oppose God. Because we can't answer everything they come out with. There's a new, new scientific theory that these people have studied here for the last 20 years, and they're just coming out with it today. Are you going to be able to answer it? You won't even be able to understand it. Most people in the world won't be able to understand it. So we've got to get down to the basic issues. Where are the fundamental issues where science is attacking the Bible? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, not guns and swords and spears, not of the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy, demolish strongholds. That's what God gives us, the power, divine power to demolish and destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. If I can make this in a picture, it might look like this. We destroy strongholds against the knowledge of God. So here's a stronghold. How are you going to come up and do that? By the way, they're rolling out new cannons on top of that every day. New machine guns, new rocket things. Are you going to be able to get there and shoot at those cannons? And No, I don't think so. I think we've got to instead look down and say, what's underneath this? Well, I think that the biggest thing against the knowledge of God is billions of years of evolution. Billions of years of evolution, not just biological evolution. And we're going to look at this. Cosmological evolution, geological evolution, chemical evolution, and biological evolution. Billions of years of that. And it's like, oh, we're here by random chance. Billions of years of random events caused our universe here. Billions of years of random events got our, our planet here. Billions of years of chemical events caused life to start. Billions of years of biological events caused us to get here. And God had no part in it. Just... Billions of years of random events. That is against God. And as we look at this, we'll say, oh, but by the way, this fortress is built on three toothpicks. 
It's built on three toothpicks that are holding it up. The first toothpick, they say, we have an eternal multiverse. The second toothpick is, they say, space is the void. And the third toothpick is, there's no global flood. And you knock out one of those toothpicks, or two of them, or three of them, and it's like, ooh, this fortress is not that strong. What is truth? God's word is true. It's accurate. Okay, so science. What is science? First of all, science gets things right, usually, when they can test it repeatedly. And so if you have a cell phone and you say, you know, does that work pretty neat? This is amazing. My dad worked on some of the very first computers in the world in Los Alamos, and they took a whole room. And this has thousands of times more power. And it works and does marvelous things. Now, does it always work correctly? Have you ever had a cell phone or a computer that's just kind of goofed up a little bit and blown up and not quite done what you wanted? Well, we haven't got it quite right yet. Some amazing things, but it's not perfect. And you know what? The nice perfect is because some engineer, some programmer's logic has not been complete, hasn't quite worked out, and they didn't think you would ever do what you just did. And it blew up. So, but science usually gets things right when they can test it repeatedly over and over again. They will eventually get it right. And that's good. But science cannot test historical events. Okay, let's test what happened in creation. Let's do it again. God, show us that again. Doesn't happen. Happened once. What can we test? Well, here's the evidence here today. And we can look at this and say, well, let's run this simulation. We can get this evidence this way or we can get this evidence this way. But we can't run it again. Science is not as good at getting things right where it can't repeatedly test it. But then you even get worse because science never uses God as an answer. Naturalistic science, by its own decision, said we're looking at the physical world. We want to talk about physical things. Supernatural things are not physical things. Therefore, we will not talk about supernatural things. Therefore, we will never say God ever. Because God is supernatural. Science is just studying the natural things. So we cannot use God as an answer that's supernatural. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means if there is a question where the correct answer is God, what does science have to give? The wrong answer. They can't say God. They've chosen to do that for a purpose. They say, well, we don't want to get God confused. We want to find all the natural solutions we can. So they have chosen not to say God which means if there is a question where God is the right answer, they have to give the wrong answer. Okay. Uh, The other thing is science really trusts human logic. It relies on human logic. It's never wrong. Our logic is flawless. We get it right, especially when tested enough times. And here's what I would say. Logic is essential. We learn things with logic. It's important, but it's not flawless. Let me just give you a quick example of myself. I had a software company, and we developed good software. I had good people, smart people working for this. And I'm a logical person. And so I said, one day, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write a program that's perfect, and I'm going to do it without testing it. It's going to be perfect. And I know what I was going to do. It's a one-page program. So I sit down there and write away and type away and do this and look at, reread it and think, okay, now this is going to do this, and this is going to do this, and this is going to do this. And Okay, one page of code. One page. And guess what? Then you t- okay, take it to the computer, and the computer has to compile it. The compiler just says, can I understand what you said? And it compiled it, and guess what? 
oh, I had three typos. Well, they're just typos, but, you know, but it wasn't perfect. Okay, so I quickly fixed the typos. That's no problem. Then let's run it and see what the computer does with what I told it to do. And I read it, and I know it's going to be exactly right the first time. So I run it, and guess what the computer does? Yeah, you guessed it. Just about exactly the opposite of what I wanted. Just about exactly the opposite. And I have good logic. Oh, and you look down there. Oh, oh, I didn't think about that. And you fix that, and it's like, oh, oh. And it wasn't hard to fix, but when you test it, ah, then you find out the flaws in your logic. If you can't test your logic, you could be missing some big things. So that's why Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. His logic is flawless. Don't lean on your own understanding. Do we use our own understanding? Yes, but don't lean on it because it's limited. So let's look at these three suppressed truths. First suppressed truth is found in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. They know this because God has shown it to them. What a great place to start the gospel. This is where Paul is starting the gospel of the Romans with the things God has shown them. It's plain to them for what? What is, what is this suppressed truth? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Creation shows this. So they are without excuse, no excuse. So here's the first key question, what is eternal? And in talking to people about the Lord, especially if they don't believe in the Bible, I think this is a great first question. What is eternal? And of course, the biblical answer, the correct answer is, you can say this out loud, God And he's the God with eternal power and a divine nature. Okay, and the evidence that he provides is creation. Look around you. Do you look designed? Do you look like someone that was really knew what they're doing made you? Uh, Yes. And you can read atheists, and they acknowledge the illusion or the uh, uh, design is obvious. It looks like the world is designed. Now, they'll call it an illusion, but it really looks like it's designed. They will say that. By the way, God said they would say that, and they do. So the scientific answers. What are the best wrong answers? Okay, science, here's here's a question. The correct answer is God. Science can't say the word, so they have to say something else. So what does science say is eternal? So what's the best wrong answers? Well, they might start out, and they used to say this, and I'll think that nothing is eternal. And that makes sense because, boy, what's an eternal? Something that had no beginning? All, you know, if something's eternal, they always existed. How can that be? So nothing is eternal. Well, that's easy. Only problem with that is, is then you think, oh, if nothing's eternal, then you're not eternal, I'm not eternal, God's not eternal, this universe is not eternal. And somewhere in the distant past, there was absolutely nothing. No God, no universe, no nothing. If there ever was in the far, 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 far past a time when there's absolutely nothing, how did you get here? How did you get here if there's nothing? Does nothing all of a sudden change its mind and become something? Nothing doesn't have a mind. It can't do that. And so they realized, ooh, 
That doesn't work because you would never be here. So let's kind of avoid that answer. Let's move on. Let's try a second answer. And in many cases, they would say in the past, the universe is eternal. The stars, the planets, the galaxies, all of this vast area out here is eternal. And so now we have something that's eternal and we can get here. And uh, the only problem with that is then when they started studying, it looked like these galaxies were moving away from each other faster and faster and faster and faster. And they said, ooh, if we look backwards in time and history, they would kind of be closer and closer and closer and closer. Oh, not very long ago, well, they say it was quite a while ago, the universe would have been all right here. And our universe had a beginning. So they discovered by the Big Bang that, ooh, our universe is not eternal. That's probably not a very good answer. So we've got to move on. Well, what's eternal? We've got to have something eternal. We've got to have a question here. We can't say God. And so they finally found the answer that I think is more appropriate, and that is the multiverse is eternal. The multiverse. Uh, what is that? Well, we're going to look at that, but basically there is no scientific evidence for a multiverse. That makes it a really good answer for them. Why? Because we can't prove it doesn't exist because we can't see it. There's nothing we can show to prove them wrong. Of course, there's nothing they can show to prove them right either. There's no evidence for it. None. So the multiverse is eternal. Well, what is the multiverse? Well, okay, so our universe isn't eternal. They know that. And something has to be eternal, so there must be a multitude of universes. So every one of these little bubbles out here is its own universe. And our universe here is, includes our planet and our solar system, the sun, and our galaxy, the Milky Way, and all those other stars and all those other galaxies out there. As far as our distant telescopes can see and beyond that, everything in here, that's our universe. And what are these other universes? Well, there's a big gap in here, and somewhere out there beyond, far, far, far beyond what we can see, there's another one, and over there, there's another one, and over there, there's bazillions of them. And that means that now you can have these universes keep popping into existence and they, some of them die and some of them go on. And, and now we have something that's eternal and we're, the problem is solved. Can you ever see a multiverse? No. Can't even see the edge of our universe. But it's an answer to the question. So it gives the science something that's eternal. No evidence for it, but something's eternal. No, no one can see it, so it's hard to disprove. Then there's also this issue, it helps them out because it also solves another issue for science because it resolves the fine-tuning issue. Okay, there, that was fine-tuned. <laughs> it was not supposed to do that, but it went off there. Anyway, so the fine-tuning issue is basically that this universe and this planet is extremely tuned for life, and scientists know that. If they change one little number just a little bit, oh, life would die. And there are dozens of these numbers. And they look around and say, ooh, this universe looks like someone designed it, but they can't say the word God. And of course, you say someone designed it, that means the word God. So they have to say something else. So here's the issue. If there are an infinite number of universes out there, some of them are not tuned at all for life. But if there's infinite number of them, maybe one of them is fine-tuned for life, and that's us. We're the lucky ones. So it resolves their problem. So we have this truth that's suppressed. The question is, what is eternal? Is it the multiverse or is it God? Well, they say multiverse has no beginning and no end. God has no beginning and no end. So we're equal there. No problem. Same thing. Well, then we go on. The multiverse is infinite in size and growing. An infinite number of the universe in there and growing. So it's infinite. But God is infinite in wisdom infinite in power, 
Ooh, I think that's a little better. But then you go on, the multiverse is not a person. It can only do random things. And in fact, it can't even do random things because to do something, you have to be a person. Random events might happen, but random events might not happen. But God is a person. He can think. He can remember. He can plan. He can initiate. He can do things. Ooh, God has a far better answer there. He can do things. Then you get the multiverse back again. It requires billions of years. As soon as you say the multiverse is eternal, you have no choice. Every area of science now requires billions of years. No choice about it. Because to get these random events to make our universe, to make our planet, to make life, to make advanced life, all of those forms of evolution take billions of years. You have no choice. If God does it, he chooses. This is how long I'm going to take to do this. I think a multiverse is a worthless replacement for God. It's an idol. Over millions and billions of years, this, that's speaking with awe to an idol. So the cosmological evolution of this multiverse to produce, our universe took billions of years, the geological evolution on our planet would have taken billions of years of random events, and chemical evolution produced the first life. And oh, by the way, would have these ever done it even in billions of years? No, not even in billions of years. Now, that's the only possibility. But even in billions of years, these things wouldn't happen. And finally, biological evolution pr- produced advanced life. Once science refuses, once science refuses to answer questions with the word God, the, all of the answers require billions of years. All other answers. So you can see now why we're getting this separation. In contrast, God works at the speed he chooses. And he said he created the universe in six days. And the Bible says that was sometime less than 10,000 years ago. So how old is the universe? Well, it depends on how you answer this question. If you say that the multiverse is eternal, if you think that's the truth, then you have to say the universe is 13.8 billion years old. That's our best estimate. But if God is eternal, which I believe is the correct answer, then we have to look at his word, and his word says the universe is less than 10,000 years old. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, that's one of the suppressed truths. Let's look at a second suppressed truth. And this suppressed truth is found in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, knowing this first of all. If you want to know something, know this first of all. It's an important thing to know. Know this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. With scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, for they deliberately overlook this fact. Okay, I didn't say suppress truth there, but deliberately, deliberately overlook, suppress this fact, truth. So Peter's really saying the same thing. An overlooked fact and a suppressed truth. So we have another suppressed truth. And he starts out with that the heavens existed long ago. Wow. What's that? They deliberately overlooked that the heavens existed long ago? 
what, what, what are you talking about there, Peter? I like, in this case, NIV is not my favorite translation, but in this case, I think they've done an especially good job. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. What, what's that? So what, what does that mean? Well, here's what I think it means. First of all, the heavens, if we look at that word heavens, that is our word, we'd use the modern word, we'd use space. Heavens are what God created in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, stretched them out in day two. Day four, God placed the sun, moon, and stars in them. So I think that's the word for space. Let's look at those verses so you can make sure. Look at those verses with me. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens. That is space, or paired spaces more literally, like space comes in pieces of paired spaces, and earth, or material earth. So we've got space and matter. And then if we looked a couple of verses later, Genesis 1.7, God made the expanse, something stretched out, something big, and separated the waters which were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse, same word, heavens, or space. So we've got the space is the expanse. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Then look a little further on Verses 16 and 17, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens or the expanse of space to give light on the earth. Where are the stars? Oh yeah, they're in space. So you can see how this word heavens is tying to space. Then we were looking at Isaiah. By the way, if you want a commentary on Genesis that's the absolute best commentary, go to Isaiah. Isaiah understood the creation count perfectly. And if you want to understand creation better, Isaiah has it. Here's what Isaiah says. He says, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens, who created space, is something he made, created, and stretched them out. Who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Or, Isaiah 40, 22, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, stretches out space like a curtain. Well, we can see a curtain. When you stretch that out, close it back in, stretch, open it out, stretches out space like a curtain and spreads out these paired spaces of space like a tent. So we've got this tent all folded up here, and he spreads it out. It's like, oh, that's a picture we can see. So space is kind of the, we think of that as the distance between things. So there's space between those two people there. And for thousands of years, scientists have argued, what is space? Is it the vacuum, the void, nothingness? Is it just distance? Is it a mathematical concept? And the other choice, is it a substance? Is it a stretchy fabric? It is a created thing. And philosophers and scientists have debated this for literally since ancient Greek. What is space? And it's gone back and forth and back and forth. In fact, here's a quote from Dr. Lee Smolin, and here's what he says. This book is about the simplest of all questions to ask. What are time and space? There's our question. What is space? He says, this is also one of the hardest questions to answer. We don't know what space is. As we enter the 21st century, that's today, there is no more challenging problem in science than the completion of this theory. What is space? Somewhere in our thinking, there is at least one and possibly several wrong assumptions. At the very least, these assumptions involve our concept of space and time. 
And I think he's right. We really don't know what space is. Oh, by the way, does God know what space is? Uh, yes. And the hints that he's left us in Genesis are more than what science knows today. Oh, my. So we can measure space. And we've got this. So I've got uh, two young men. And see, where are they? So they're going to come up here now. Where did you? Matthew and Garrett are going to come up here and help me out. And we're going to see if we can look at this in an example here a little bit. So, first of all, all right, each of you take one of those and hold them fairly close together. Okay, I have a meter stick. This isn't an actually a yardstick. This is actually a meter stick. This one's a yardstick, but you can see this one's a little bit longer. So this is a meter stick, so that's what normally is measured. So let's, let's put about a meter apart there, okay, and show, make sure they can see that because you're showing that to the people out there, okay. So they're about a meter apart. Now go further apart. Okay, now let's see. Okay, we had, so there's the distance between them. Oh, not even two meters yet. Now come closer together. Closer, 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 closer. Okay, so there we can measure how much they are, and distance measures how far they're apart. That is what we do in science. We say, how much space is there between there? Uh, there is uh, 50 centimeters. That's how much space is between there. Well, let's think about that a minute. Okay, we have those things. We haven't practiced with this here, so I'm going to see how this works out here. So... Grab that and lift that up there. There we go. And you grab that. Grab with both hands. So, all right, there we have. Now, now God says space is like a fabric, like a tent or a curtain. And so here we have oh, about a meter between those two things. And now, would you stretch this out a little bit? So God stretched out. That's good. So now we have, oh, they are more than a meter apart. Has the amount of space, distance measures the amount of space. So the amount of space here is now one and a third meters, one and a fourth meters. Is there more space between them? Wait a minute. Did I add more fabric in here? This is, this is space. Did I add more fabric? Pull it out some more. Grab a hold good. Oh, they're further apart. Did we add more space in here? This measures, this says we have more space in there. Did we put in more space in there? No. Now come together. Come together really close. Don't let the magnets touch here, but come together more and more and more and more and more. Okay, that's good. So now we measure them. Oh, there, there's not much spaces between them. Did I, is there less space between them? Uh, well, this is space. There's the same amount of fabric. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. You see, if space is a substance... Distance doesn't always measure that substance because the substance can be stretched out. So if I were selling, I have a cloth factory and I'm going to sell you cloth and I have this really stretchy cloth and you say, I want a one yard of it. So you come in there and I take this cloth and I put it on this rack and I stretch it out, stretch it out, stretch it out, stretch it out. I say, you want one yard? Okay, let me measure the one yard. I accurately measure one yard. Cut it off and the cloth goes. There's your one yard. Would you be happy? That was why I measured it. It was one yard. That's how much space is there. Uh, I think there's a fundamental flaw in science, and I think it basically is we use distance to measure space. We use distance to measure space, but that doesn't account for space stretching out. 
You can have the same amount of space stretched out, the same amount of space unstretched. Distance is not a perfect measure for space. Does light travel through meters per second? Well, that's what we say. Or does light travel through spaces per second? Does light travel through space or meters? Oh. And this is the area that's been, that has been in science debated for years. The Bible has the answer. So do we just use distance to measure space or do we really need to count the number of stitches? Count the number of pieces of space. There's a difference. And by the way, if we fix that area, there's amazing the number of paradoxes in science that are going to go away. And by the way, I think if we fix this, it also leads the door to new technologies that are amazing. That's because God understands science better than science does. Second key question, what is space? The biblical answer is clear. Science, or Bible says, space is a stretchy fabric that God can stretch out like a tent or a curtain. It's a substance. Space, I can't see space. You think it's, God says it's a substance. Yes, we can't see it. Science and that distance does not measure space accurately, but science says space is the void, and that's where most scientists are, but also there are scientists who say, well, space is a substance because it's got to have some sort of substance to make gravity work and light work, and, and they're clearly like Newton was a scientist, and even Einstein said space was a substance, but still most scientists say space is the void and that distance measures space accurately. I think distance and space are not the same thing, amount of space and distance. They're related but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. They forget that space is a substance that God can stretch out. Well, what difference does that make? Well, how old is the universe? If space is the vacuum, the void, unending nothingness, then the Hubble constant calculates, I believe accurately, that the age of the universe is 13.8 billion years old. And we have an old universe. But... If space is a stretchy substance, that same data, the exact same data, changes the calculation because of how space is stretched out. The distance is there, but the amount of space is different. The same data says the universe has to be less than 10,000 years old. Ooh. There's a third suppressed truth, and that comes from the same issue we were just looking at here. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, they suppressed this truth, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. They forget the flood. Noah's flood is completely ignored. Here's what Wikipedia says. And now Wikipedia is not a great scientific thing, but it does tell you what people are thinking. And here's what people are thinking. They said... The evidence creationists have presented in support of flood geology has been evaluated, refuted, and unequivocally dismissed by the scientific community, which considers such flood geology to be pseudoscience. Flood geology directly contradicts current science in disciplines such as geology, physics, chemistry, molecular genetics, evolutionary biology, archaeology, and paleontology. So we can't believe in a global flood because look at all these things that's contradicting because they have to have billions of years. So the third key question, what caused extinctions? By the way, did Noah's flood cause extinctions? 
Uh, yeah, there were quite a few animals that got in the boat, but even after that, even after they got off, did some of them go extinct? Yeah, because their climate had changed and things had changed. And uh, does science believe that there were times when almost everything went extinct? Yes, absolutely. They believe very much there were times when almost everything went extinct. So that's not the issue. Uh, the, say, what caused it? Well, the biblical answer is, no, it's flood. The scientific answer, the most common things they say, what caused extinctions? Megavolcanoes, meteorites, and climate change. Now, I want to say here, science is not too far from right here. Science acknowledges there have been major extinctions events in the past where thousands of species went extinct at the same time. One of the evidence for this is that there are sedimentary layers that are full of fossils. Here's this layer, full of fossils. Look at the layer above it, which is supposed to lay down next. And guess what? No fossils there. And the next one, no fossils there. Next one. What happened? There was all these fossils, and then the next layer is none, 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 none. Things must have gone extinct. What caused them to go extinct? They see multiple extinction events because they see sedimentary layers being millions of years, not the one year of Noah's flood. So down there in this layer, things went extinct, and up there in this layer went extinct, and this layer they went extinct. But that's millions of years because these layers are millions of years apart. So these extinction events are multiple, not just one. Uh, one reason I believe why Noah's flood has been rejected by science is that we haven't read the Bible very carefully. And so Pastor Brian, Mike Gord, and I are writing a paper on Genesis 7 because I think if we read Genesis 7 correctly, it actually says, oh, what the Bible says is actually closer to agreeing with science than we thought, and here's what's happening. So here's what I think Genesis 7 is saying. On that day, all fountains of great deep erupted. Ooh, what's a fountain of great deep? By the way, there's other scriptures that call fountains of water. This is a fountain of great deep. What's, what's down there deep, deep, deep? Uh, magma. This is a fountain of great deep erupting. I think that's a volcano. And by the way, what is portals to space were open? What is out there in space? What did God put out there in space? We read that. That's where he set the sun, moon, and stars. And if you open portals to space, what might come in? Falling stars. Those we call meteorites. And these caused, and by the way, that cause is in there. Whatever these two events are, they caused rain. That's in the Hebrew grammar. They caused it to rain 40 days and 40 nights. Would a volcano cause it to rain? Oh, yeah, a volcano can put up tens of cubic miles of water above the atmosphere. Would a meteorite cause it to rain? Oh, your big meteorite hitting the ocean vaporizes rock. What's it going to do to the water? It's going to, again, put tens of cubic miles of water above the atmosphere and cause it to rain. And if you really look at all of the context, all of the grammar, all the related verses in the geological record, it really supports that there were three events that caused the flood, volcanoes, meteorites, and torrential rain. You'll have to ask Pastor Brian. He's working with us on this. So the most common interpretation is that there were two events that caused the rain, water above and water from below. But I think it's this one is, no, God struck the earth and he spread it out and knocked the earth into the ocean that raised the water level. There's enough water in the oceans to cover the entire globe by five kilometers if you level the land. There's enough water to cover the entire globe. And so when science says, boy, it looks like we've got extinctions, but they were caused by meteorites and volcanoes and climate change. By the way, was there climate change in the flood? Before the flood, there was air here, and during the flood, there was water here. Is that climate change? <laughs> Yeah, you can't breathe when there's water there. So it was significant climate change. 
So we have to be careful what, what is Scripture saying because wrong interpretations of the Scripture are not true. We have to be careful. So here's a picture of what I think the flood caused, what the flood looked like. There were fountains of great deep erupting volcanoes, meteorites impacting, and this town is in trouble. This is a painting by Jim Dick. Thank you, Jim. He's an excellent painter, and we, uh, it's really good to have these things visualized. So how old is the universe? Again, if a global flood never happened, there's no global flood, then we look at these thousands of meters underneath us, thousands of meters of layers, sedimentary layers. How long? Well, it would take billions of years to put those there if it took, if there was no global flood. And the universe is billions of years old. But if the biblical description of Noah's flood is correct, then all of those layers are put down in one year. And the history of the Bible, that these are just thousands of years old, is accurate. So, I believe science is tell- or the Bible is telling us what's going to happen in science. Three truths are going to be suppressed. Three truths. And each of these truths, when you correct them, points to a young earth. I think billions of years really is a replacement for, for God. Billions of years, over billions of years, this could happen. Over billions. No, no, no. God did this with a purpose. Closing, one of the problems with billions of years is that they forget judgments. Billions and billions and billions of years, things have been going on ever since way back there. Things have been going on, going on, going on. Did God ever judge in the past? No, there was no flood. There's God never judged. Was God going to ever judge in the future? No, there's no judgment because things are just going on billions and billions of years. And God says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven and that's where we started out in Romans 1, and then we finished in Peter, 2 Peter 3, and Peter says, oh, by the way, after the suppressed truths in the last days, what's going to happen? But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Judgment is coming in the last days. And what's going to happen in the last days? Oh, that's when these scoffers are going to come and say, and suppress these truths. What's happening today? Those are the truths that are being suppressed. We are in the last days, and judgment is coming, and it's going to be a judgment of fire. But those who believe in billions of years, judgment? Billions of years, not judgment. Why should there be judgment now? God is going to judge this world, and we have the opportunity of being a witness here. So, Lord, help us to destroy these strongholds. Their arguments that are lifted up against the knowledge of God. I think one of those issues they hold up there is the eternal universe. What is eternal? God is eternal. Space is the void. What does God say space is? It's a stretchy substance. They say there's never been a global flood. God says, no, I judged the world with a flood. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've left us a record of what's going to happen and what is happening. And I thank you that you sent Jesus to save us and rescue us from the judgment that is coming. And Lord, we pray for these people, millions of people who do not know you, do not know judgment is coming. Help us to be godly testimonies in this dark world and to be able to destroy these strongholds, these arguments by understanding your word 
and understanding that the suppressed truths and being able to point out the truth, the truth that you've made known to people, you've promised in Romans 1, you have made this known to them so they're without excuse. So help us to use that to be your lights in a dark world. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.